All right, here is a description, some of the general characteristics of the kingdom. Uh, we want to know a little bit what it's going to be like, how it differs uh, from previous dispensations, um, how it differs from other uh, kingdoms, and especially how it's going to be different uh, from the historical rule of Israel. So one of the first characteristics of the kingdom is that righteousness is going to abound. This will be universal righteousness, not just from the ruling reigning king, uh, but also, importantly, there will be personal righteousness. People will actually be acting in righteousness generally. It will be actually surprising to encounter someone um, who is acting outside of the righteousness of the Messiah. Psalm 24, verse 3, looks forward to this time where David writes, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob, that's looking forward to a generation that is going to be conformed in perfect righteousness to the Lord. There is going to be resounding peace uh, throughout the whole world. Isaiah 2 tells us, Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Now this is actually telling us something about the literal and phys physical topography of the coming kingdom. Just as the world was recreated through the flood after the first civilization, so it is going to be recreated through flames and fire. And uh, we see the beginning of that in the tribulation period. Many of the catastrophes are actually um, convulsions, just like the flood was, where it's working to reform uh, the world and the topography of the world into the kingdom over which Christ will rule. And one of these features that we see is that the mountain of the Lord is going to become the chief mountain, where Jerusalem will actually be the highest mountain. This makes sense because the mountains that were created during the flood are going to settle back down uh, through the tumult of the tribulation period. So this mountain isn't going to have to grow so large that it's taller than Everest. The earth itself will generally be flatter. The oceans, rather than being uh, big, deep pits, are going to be um, more diversified. That water may spread out across the earth a bit more. Uh, it may recede back into its underground caverns. Uh, we're not really told all that, but what we see is that the highest mountain is going to be in Jerusalem. Uh, this actually might look a bit like our uh, mythology, where we've got something like Mount Olympus. Uh, the mountain of the Lord is spoken of again and again and again and again. And this is where his temple will be. And this is where uh, his rule and reign will uh, be focused in. Isaiah 2.3 says, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. While Christ is ruling and reigning on this earth, 
Uh, he will be the center, uh, not just of uh, rulership, but also of revelation. The law will be um, the law for the whole world as a one world government under the perfect reign of Messiah is going to come out of Jerusalem, specifically the Holy Mountain. We can look at this uh, like we look at American politics, where the rule of the land comes from Washington, D.C., and more specifically, it comes from the Capitol building. And so uh, Jerusalem or Zion uh, may be uh, similar to D.C. Um, if the United States were the future whole entire globe, and the Millennial Mountain would be the Capitol building. Isaiah 2.4 says he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for the peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. There will be nations uh, with uh, defined borders during the millennial kingdom. God created the nations in Genesis 11. He created it specifically for the protection um, of people so that uh, one nation would not form under a human ruler uh, that had his allegiance to Satan uh, because there would be a one world government coming where one man ruled over all the nations uh, and he's, his will was perfectly conformed to God's and his plan for that was Jesus Christ. And so this is the purpose for which God created the nations so that Christ could rule over them perfectly. An additional characteristic of the kingdom is that the curse uh, that occurred after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, that curse will be uh, partially rolled back. It will not fully disappear because men will still be present with sin natures, um, but after the kingdom, the curse will be fully removed. We'll look at that when we get to Revelation 21. But we want to look at now at the partial rolling back of the curse. Isaiah 11 verse 6 describes this well for us, and all of Isaiah 11 is prophecy of the coming millennial kingdom. Uh, the first five verses describe um, how the Holy Spirit will function together with the messianic king, and now we get a description of what the kingdom will look like in verse 6. It says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. So importantly here, we have carnivores, uh, specifically prey and uh, predator, uh, cohabitating together. This is a reversal of what began to occur in nature at the fall, uh, where uh, really, the death of one creature became necessary for the sustenance of another creature. And this this is a picture, or this was created in, in nature as a picture of, because of sin, our need for the death of another in order that we um, be sustained in our life. And that is pointing towards the death of Christ. Once that is uh, finished, we no longer need that example in nature. Uh, and once Christ is ruling and reigning in perfect righteousness, and we've been conformed to his righteousness, uh, we have him that we can go to presently and understand uh, who he is and who we are in him. But it continues, uh, also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. So there is going to be peace uh, among the uh, among creation. 
Uh, Isaiah 11, 8 says the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we see the universal knowledge of Christ leads to universal peace, uh, both in nature and as we're about to look at also among people. But importantly here, we have a reversal of Eden in that even a child is able to be in the presence of a snake, and there's two different kinds of snakes uh, mentioned here, kind of to reinforce the point, where in the Garden of Eden, the snake was the ultimate enemy. Um, here it is going to be pacified so that it is no longer an enemy. Isaiah 11.10, then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. This is uh, peace among people, peace among mankind with uh, relations restored. The nations will resort to the root of Jesse, that's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Along with this will be the renovation of the earth. Now, this is not the recreation of the earth that we will see uh, before the eternal state, but this is a renewed earth, just like the flood renewed the earth, um, so that it was as if the earth had been recreated. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not remember, be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her voice in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will be there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of one hundred, and the bone or the one who does not reach the age of one hundred will be thought accursed. Now this again is an uh, interesting allusion to uh, what the social environment of the kingdom will be. Ages will be restored, uh, at least to their uh, pre-fall uh, state, which was likely uh, eternal, where the body was not actually created to die. An interesting uh, fact is that we don't really know why bodies degenerate anyways, uh, at least not from science. Uh, they just do. We only know that through revelation from scripture, uh, that they degenerate because they have detached themselves from the life source, which is God. And so when we are reattached to the life source of God, uh, and the sin nature is taken out of us, then uh, those ages would be restored. Uh, that's where we have our eternal life. Um, but here, this is speaking of the mortals who are going to be present in the kingdom. They will have sin natures presently. And so, uh, though they are um, still subject to some of the curse, the effects of the curse will be rolled back, not to pre-fall, which there was no curse, uh, but to pre-flood, where we see uh, ages reaching into the 1,000s of years. And so, there's no reason for any mortal in the kingdom to die at all. Those who have aligned themselves with Christ will not see death during the kingdom, and they will be translated at the end of the kingdom into glorified bodies. 
However, those who have, um, those who do not receive Jesus as their Messiah uh, during the kingdom, those who are rebellious against his rule, those will see death uh, because the curse will not be rolled back for them. At the age of 100, which is, uh, it's, a, it's a longer life for us here, but with everything else in their environment restored to perfect conditions, um, 100 is going to be far too young for anyone to die during the kingdom except for those who have spiritual death in them, killing them. And so, those who are spiritually dead in their sin nature, not attached to the Messiah, are going to die at 100, whereas those who have been redeemed uh, by the righteousness of the Messiah, those will outlive the millennial kingdom itself and never see death. So it's an interesting thought here that uh, the different... Uh, the different experience of believers and unbelievers in the messianic kingdom will indicate where their heart uh, is aligned, whether or not they're actually uh, believers in their king or not. So when they see someone die at 100 years old, they will look at that and say this person was not a redeemed person because if they were redeemed, they would not have died. Jeremiah 31, 27, uh, these verses that uh, come just before the promise of the new covenant also speak of something very similar uh, during the kingdom, uh, that those, who's, uh, well, those who are not able to enjoy those aspects of the kingdom that bring um, uh, productivity, I guess you could say, it will be seen that they also uh, are accursed. Jeremiah 31, 27 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man, with the seed of beast, as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and to bring disaster. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. So uh, this is a promise from God of the restoration of the world out of uh, disaster. And he says, then in those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This was something they complained about in the Old Testament in Israel, that when Israel was disobedient um, to its rule of life, the Messianic or the uh, Mosaic law, uh, that there was cursing brought on Israel for their disobedience. And so they did not enjoy the plenty that was available to them through obedience. And so they would complain that their father's uh, did not receive the the produce or the fruit uh, that God had promised them. And of course, the answer behind that was they didn't receive it because um, they refused to receive it because they refused to be obedient to God um, through which they would receive that blessing. But here we see that this is no longer going to be uh, the resounding statement of Israel. When someone is eating sour grapes, they're going to look at it as their personal um, Oh, here, uh, verse 30 says, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Uh, so this is, I think this is just an interesting scene. A man who eats sour grapes because he is so uh, used to productivity and plenty and uh, prosperity in the kingdom. Um, if he has any experience such as eating a sour grape, uh, that is contrary to that 
uh, that prosperity in the kingdom, uh, it's going to be uh, indicative to him that he's accursed. Um, so the obedience in Israel, in other words, is going to be so resounding uh, that disobedience is going to be very rare. And even things like eating sour grapes is going to be rare. Uh, now, I get sour grapes pretty often in my lunch, and uh, I don't think, oh, no, what did I do wrong here? Uh, but this is going to be an indication in the kingdom um, that this person has uh, has not been walking with Christ or is not walking with Christ. And again, this is a description of the mortals in the kingdom. Um, it's after this that uh, Jeremiah is going to go on to describe the immortality of Israel in the kingdom in the new covenant. And uh, so that's a good point to bring up is that there will be restored prosperity in the kingdom. Uh, just like the one who dies young is going to be thought accursed. The one who doesn't prosper in the kingdom is going to be seen as accursed. That one who is not prospering in the kingdom isn't going to make it past 100 anyways. Um, so it would be an experience that they have in their first 100 years. Uh, Isaiah 65, 21 uh, picks up where we left off in Isaiah 65. It says, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. So this is interesting how many of us live in houses that were built by people that are long gone, uh, long gone from this earth. They built their house, but they didn't actually outlive their house. Here in the kingdom, uh, houses are going to be built, and these people are going to live in the house that they built for the entire duration of that house's existence. The vineyards that they plant, they're going to be able to enjoy them from beginning to end. Um, I kind of think of Noah here, where uh, after the flood, he became a uh, keeper of vineyards for another 400 or so years. He had grapes or whatever they were growing back then. He got to plant those. He got to see them through. But you know what? Those vineyards probably outlived him still, even though he lived another 400 years after the flood. Uh, so it says then, for as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Now, trees have pretty long lifespans here in the Midwest or uh, Pacific Northwest. We've got trees that are uh, hundreds and hundreds of years old. Other places around the world, I know there's trees that are a thousand years old. Uh, I think there's there's a Methuselah tree or something in somewhere in the States, I believe, that's uh, a thousand or two thousand years old or something. Trees live a long time, and unless uh, the nature around them fails, uh, they just keep on living. And so that's... Uh, that's can, that can be expected of mortals in the kingdom, that they're just going to keep on living. Lifetimes will be restored uh, during the kingdom. Uh, and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. Uh, they will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. This is the second time uh, child mortality has been referenced. It appears that um, child mortality will not occur during the uh, kingdom. Children that are conceived will be born, and children that are born will survive, um, at least until they've had that opportunity to receive or refuse uh, the Messiah, at which point they'll die by 100 years old if they have not received, and if they have received the Messiah, they will continue on living. Um, so a better way to say it perhaps would be there is a bifurcated lifespan. 
those who do not have the righteousness of the Messiah will share the same lifespan as we would today in a perfect environment, whereas those who have the righteousness of Messiah will have uh, the lifespan of those immediately after the fall, uh, which ranged into the thousands of years, um, unless something happened to them, such as the environment. Uh, it is interesting that there's not one single, uh, one single person in biblical record that lived past a thousand years. And I think that's important because even when Moses wrote that, the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write that knew that there would be a millennial kingdom coming uh, and that we would be told that our ages would be restored so that we would outlive that millennial kingdom. Uh, this looks forward to such a perfect period in history that it the only thing that would surpass it uh, would be the immediate uh, creation after it was first given to Adam, where there was no curse at all. So the eternal state is going to outdo this in uh, when we consider the uh, environment. Uh, see, it continues, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. That's how uh, how uh, close he will be to us at that point. He's going to be on earth with us physically. And Isaiah 65, 25 wraps it up. The wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the and uh, dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in my holy mountain, says the Lord. The uh, sixth characteristic of the kingdom is that Satan will be restricted. And this is the first time in human history that that will be the case. Uh, it's because of the unrestricted nature of Satan uh, in Eden that he was able to slip in and deceive Adam and Eve and lead them uh, away from obedience to God. Uh, this will not be a factor during the kingdom. There will be uh, no tempter from uh, outside a man to lead him away from God. Um, so we saw that already in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, uh, that Satan will be locked away, sealed up for a thousand years so that he does not deceive the nations until the thousand years are completed. The seventh characteristic of the kingdom is the greatest of all the characteristics, and that is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will rule and reign over the kingdom for that entire uh, thousand years. Micah 4.1 through 5 gives us a great description of that rule. And in fact, it's kind of a panorama of the kingdom. Uh, Micah 4.1 reads, It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty, uh, for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. 
Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with, uh, with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Thank you.